ride all right. Hello, people. I don't know which camera I'm looking at right now. I might look at I might look at this one. Hello, everybody. It is the first ever in real life overviewed right now, right here today for you coming live and direct. I don't think we're going to be live right now. It's going to be post edited and uploaded to YouTube. And yeah, kind of had this concept to do a bit of a live podcast for a little bit. I obviously do the podcast every month and have done a few interviews. Haven't done an interview for a little bit. So wanted to kind of mix things up and actually invite some people within the drum and bass scene into my home and interview them live and just have a bit of a chat, have some fun. And I have got a very, very special guest for you today. He is none other than Levler, all the way from Crawley, Mr. Releasing all around the scene in drum and bass. Give it up. Hey, hey. Woo, woo, woo. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. In your humble abode. In my humble abode. The overview headquarters. Yeah, no, mate. Well, like I said, I've not uh, properly done anything like this. I've got, we got, we're gonna put on, put on my like radio voice right now. You got to, like put on your podcast voice. Yeah, absolutely. You, you told me that you've never actually done a podcast. Before. I haven't. No, first one. Why not? Why have you not? You not I, been? I don't know. I've never got invited onto one um, until this. Right. And I never got around to setting my own up. So it's just one area of media that I never explored before. Well, we can have some fun anyway. Yeah. I promise yeah. that I'm not gonna be too. I mean, I feel like I feel like we've we've known each other. I mean, for anybody that does does or doesn't know, uh, we obviously we grew up pretty close to each other. Really, you are you are, yeah. you are let, let me go because I do want to have a little bit of a back backstory. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. like I said, we know each other. Yeah, but we like drum and bass, drum and bass friends. Yes, in a way. But you obviously you from Crawley. But are you are you actually from Crawley? Yeah, born and born and bred. Yeah, never never moves. Never never, never moves. No, and he's still there. We're still, still there. Today. Still in creepy Crawley. <laughs> Uh, and uh, well, if anyone that does care, not a lot of people do care. <laughs> I, I am from Horsham, yeah. Which uh, historically there is a little bit of a Horsham Crawley. Yeah, there's a thing. bit of a weird like rivalry. It's like a friendly rivalry. It can be friendly. Sometimes it can be a bit <laughs> not friendly. But I also, I, yeah, I don't know. It's a bit of a weird one. I mean, we don't need to totally get into the, <laughs> so this. isn't a podcast. Yeah, two on, tiny uh, little towns that no most people have never heard of. So <laughs> no, to, to say that, a lot of people have heard of Crawley. Yeah, it's mainly because of the Gatwick link. Because obviously we're right next to Gatwick. So yeah. People have heard of it normally. How 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 was Crawley growing up? Like, let's, let, cause I, as I said, I want to have a little bit of a sort of start from, from you. Yeah. What, you know, what was your upbringing and, um, and all that? Pretty standard. Uh, youngest of two, of three, got an older brother and older sister. Right. Um, yeah, grew up in Crawley, and it's just a normal council house childhood, I guess. Yeah. Right. So you, yeah, you grew up in a council house uh, until a certain point. Yeah. Did your parents buy it or? Yeah, eventually. Yes. Right. Yes. Good old Thatcher. Gives them the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, yeah, nothing really extravagant happened in my life until uh, about ten or eleven, um. I was going to go into the, the story of my life now. Yeah, oh, no, no, this is this yeah, is your life. Is... This is Leveler's life. Right now. <laughs> this is what we're doing. So, yeah, well, I must have been about 10 or 11, and I had a little tape boombox thing in my bedroom, and my mum let me... I've got rummaging through my mum's collection of tapes. Bear in mind, she's an old-school raver. Like, okay. She was... Right. Her and her sister, my auntie, them two together were part of the original rave circuit, so they were racing around the M25 to the, to the phone boxes to find out where the illegal raves were. She was, like, deep in that in that rave culture right right um so then she had a bunch of old like tapes and stuff of artists i'd never heard of and i remember just one day just like going through and just listening it's like celine dion and Cher, and then a bunch of stuff i'd never heard of 
And then I was like, oh, what's this one? Let's, let's try that. And it was the prodigy, the experience. Whacked it in. And I, I don't know, it was just like this moment of, what the fuck is this? Like, <laughs> the, I've, I've not heard anything like this before. And it was, yeah, it blew my mind a little bit. And then I remember blasting louder and louder. My mum remember coming in the room. And she's like, you listen to this, you like it. And I remember her eyes lighting up. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> And um, yeah, and she's like, oh, right. So if you like that, you'll like this and you like this. And she's given me all these old school rave tapes. And that was my first introduction to dance music of any kind, really. And wow. I fell in love like instantly. Prodigy still to this day are my idols. And yeah, I just love everything they did. And the way that they just kind of took the rave scene by doing something that no one else has done. It's just artistically, they're like up there for me. And right. yeah. almost gods. So you said your first, your first. I mean, that's that's uh, that's an entry point right there. Yeah, that's been the experience. And, and being ten. <laughs> yeah, that's been ten. I'm under ten or eleven. Yeah, yeah and right. then, um, it was my older brother eventually kind of got into DJing, and and he was the one that got his first set of decks. Um, again, I was still only ten or eleven at the time, and he'd be in the room next door, blasting music. I wasn't allowed in there. I was irritated, annoying little brother. Um, but my mum is so supportive of me and always has been of my music and, and everything. So whenever my brother was out, my mum was like, all right, come on, let's go up and sneak on the decks and, I, and, and you can have a little play around. So my brother would never let me near him. He's like, no, you'll scratch the decks, and you'll scratch the needles. And yeah, he wouldn't let me take near him. Um, so it was only while he was out, I kind of learned the basics of what decks do and how two tunes blend into each other. And it was all old school garage back there. That's what my brother used to mix. So that's what I learned to DJ on was yeah secret 12 10 sessions when my brother wasn't in the house and this was again being <laughs> i was a 12 11 yeah about 11 and then oh, yeah because i was doing that for a while and i kind of self-taught how to dj and how to beat match and then my brother kind of gave up he just moved on to something else passed his decks down to me when i was like yeah 13 or so 12 13 um and then i was on them religiously like all day every day any bit of pocket money I can get, I'm straight into London to Big Apple Records in Croydon to get the latest garage finals. And yeah, I, I loved it. I was encapsulated in the whole DJ culture. And I remember getting like DJ Magazine and Knowledge Magazine at the time and all the old mags, anything that I could get a hold of to immerse myself further into the DJ scene, I was doing. And I was just like some 12, 13 year old kid. And um, <clears throat> it wasn't until, I mean, do you remember the hard to find records catalogs? No, this is no. before my time. Yeah, okay. Go on. So, Hard to find records was a massive record store in Birmingham, and they used to send out a monthly catalogue of all the new releases in. There's a bunch of adverts in there as well. I remember seeing one that was, I think it was called like Live Expo or something in Birmingham. And I begged my mum to take me there because they was advertising all this DJ equipment, and it was like the way this advert was made. Biggest out. convention. Ever. Yeah, it was like if you're a DJ, you have to be here. Yeah. And I'm begging my mum, and uh, she reluctantly agreed to take me. Went up there. I don't remember much. I was like 12, 13 at the time, but I do remember discovering EJ, the old dance software, right. like entry level production stuff. Mm. And uh, I remember sitting there, they had all these like demos set up and I was just playing around with it. I was like, oh, mum, I've made a, made a track in 10 minutes and I was just putting loops together and stuff basically. And then, yeah, she, I, she ended up buying me a copy of Dance EJ and that was it. That was the moment I, <clears throat> I was like, I don't want to do anything else. I just want to make music every minute of my life. I just want to create. And uh, yeah, that's how I kind of got into music and now in the production side of things. And then obviously progressed into Fruity Loops 3, I think was the first one I got. Um, yeah, and never looked back, basically. Wow. I mean, that, yeah, I mean, that's, uh, yeah, that is quite uh, a saying. I mean, quite, maybe co co coincidental, maybe that's not coincidental, I don't know. But obviously to have your mum be that massive influence and then 
you know, find that at that early, early age. Yeah. And like, and you just knew that was all you wanted to do then. Yeah, I felt I found my calling. And um, I remember the first time I actually heard drum and bass and my brother come home one day and he was still, even though the decks were in my room, if he was bored, he'd have a play on him around and stuff and sometimes buy new records. And one day he come home with his track and it was like, I was thinking it was just going to be a garage track. Put it on and it was like, this is fast. What the hell's going on here? And then it was, <laughs> and then I was just listening to it and I'd never heard, because obviously garage, I'm, I was mixing flowers into uh, like all the old school garage classics, like typical cheesy stuff. And then he played this track with this really like ominous dark intro. And I know where it is, the dun, 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 you know, Body Rock from Andy yeah, C yeah, and Shimon. Yeah. And it was that. And it was the first tune, drum and bass track I ever heard. Right. And uh, yeah, if I was like, wow, this is like everything I love about Garage, but faster and heavier and it's got more weight to it. And and I, yeah, from that moment then I was like, fuck Garage, I'm, I'm a drum and bass guy. Right. <laughs> Just off the back of that track. Did you did you then like start meeting other people in Crawley or going further afield? Like, did you build up a bit of a crew at that age? Or? No, see, that's the only thing. There was, solo. There was nobody. I think there was at the time there were probably three people in the entire town of Crawley that even heard a drum and bass. It was it's so unheard of at the time. Mm. I had one friend in the school who was an MC, um, so we kind of hung out together. We'd he'd come around and we'd record mixtapes for friends in school and. And yeah, him emceeing and me DJing. And that was, it was just kind of me and him, really. We ended up, diff- we, we stuck together. You were known as the kids at school. Like, yeah. That's the DJ. We were the, we were the annoying music kids, yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, and that was it. We kind of just rolled together for a few years. Right. Um, but yeah, there, was, there wasn't really much of a scene in Crawley. I didn't know anybody else that even knew what DMB was. So yeah, it was all just self-taught. I mean, I mean to be honest with you, obviously, even my kind of uh, knowledge being from Horsham, there isn't... There wasn't a lot because obviously I knew you, and it was like you're the guy in Crawley. So but nothing going on in Crawley yeah, uh, yeah. to the point. Even we tried to set up some events uh, a few years back now, and that flopped. It's just it's no, a little surprising in a way. I don't know. Yeah, there's but. just no no demand for it. But I mean, more so now. I think obviously with drum and bass being so commercially successful at the moment, you can hear cars driving down, blasting DMB, and it's all the tick So maybe try and do another night at Crawley again. Yeah, it might be time to start trying to build a scene there. I they think. did have, a, I swear there was a guy, I know going off on a bit of a tangent, but there was a guy, they did try to do a few nights. Yeah. Yes, yes. And they were uh, quite successful. You played, yeah. Quite- I did, I did play a couple of them, yeah, because he done um, the same venue that we tried it out. Right. Ours didn't work because the venue blew the, the subwoofers like about 20 minutes before we opened on the sound test. And we had, <laughs> and we had Nicky Blackmarket down for the event, and he walked in and was like, "Oh, it's a nice drum and tops event you've got going on." Because there was just no bass at all; it was just tinny music. Yeah, and we had like, like forty people in there listening oh, no. to the tinniest stuff. But yeah, I mean, yeah, Josh, he was someone that, that tried again to grow the scene. He was more consistent than we was with it. He'd done like four or five events, and yeah, they were popular. And then I don't, I'm not too sure. I think he just kind of moved interest into something else yeah but there's potential there is something that i mean it's a big enough town we've got over a hundred thousand people i mean well you've got obviously from then the, the surrounding areas as well of course you've got like an in-horsham people who is and holly and no, we are going. A lot of people are going to be like, a lot of people going to be like, "What are you talking about, guys? We've got no idea where this is." Right. Let's forget about crawling in Horsham. No one, get, no one knows where it is. Um, so obviously, so, so going back to to you, then you know, obviously finding your decks. You're saying starting production. What what age was this starting production then? I mean, I, I got that 13, EJ program at thirteen. Um, and yeah, and I'm 33 now, so it's 20 years since my first. How, how, how long until your first release then? Like, first release came out when I was 16. 
right? Um, yeah, so uh, oh, three right. years on FL Studio, just learning. I mean, I mean, the track was all obviously awful, but what's it? What's it called? Where can people go find it? <laughs> I'm not going to reveal that. <laughs> we 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 called we always called Leveler from that um, point, or no, actually the first release was under a different name. I'm not going to reveal it. Oh. <laughs> it is on it is on YouTube with like 12 views, and I don't <laughs> want anyone else to hear it. So, um, but yeah, that was my first release, and uh, yeah, it took me a while before I kind of developed Leveler after that. What, where where was the inspiration from? Uh, again, more cliche uh, things, but where was the inspiration for the name Level? Uh, honestly, it was. There's no fun story behind it. I was looking for a DJ name. Someone suggested it as "Oh, Level is a cool word," and I was like, "Yeah, it is." And it just never left me. Right. <laughs> so it just kind of stuck. There's no great meaning behind it, unfortunately. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> they can't always be. Sorry, there's not a story behind that one. <laughs> um, so yeah, you said so. You said first release at like 16. Then did you start then? releasing constantly from that point um oh. so with uh, by that point we we're in the myspace era uh, when you yeah. could start putting little clips of songs i'd love to see i'd love to see some of your myspace profile <laughs> <Press shots. laughs> i think i still on love oh mate my first ever press shot i was asking one for something and my mum took a picture of me wearing a shirt at the top of the stairs with headphones around my neck like i must have been 15 16 and I, i've got still got the picture now it's so cringe i would yeah. love to see this <laughs> i'm not gonna lie <laughs> We'll put it as the thumbnail for this YouTube yes. video. Very, <laughs> very. Um, so yeah, my first sort of introduction to working out the industry, I guess, was the MySpace stage, when I was putting up my productions on the on the page, and every artist had a MySpace page, and you could inbox them. And I was like, before that, I was sneaking into raves with fake ID just to catch a glimpse of these DJs and hear the music live. And then when MySpace came out, it was okay. You've got a direct connection to these uh, these. Because, yeah, at the time, artists were mysterious. You didn't know anything about them other than the music you hear or if you go and watch them play, you'll see them for an hour. That's it. Whereas now, everyone's got Twitter and Instagram, so everyone's so open. But back then, it was real hard to get hold of DJs. And I remember used to having to stand outside the club, waiting for the... I'd leave 10 minutes before the DJs finished to stand outside, for, wait for them to come out so I could hand them a CD. Right. And we're doing that a bunch of times down, here, down in Brighton. Um... But yeah, sorry, got, again, off no, the tangent. No, please, it's, it's great. Uh, MySpace, yeah. So then I realized you could send people stuff on MySpace and I just sent my music out to like all of my favorite DJs on MySpace. Um, a couple of messages back and stuff, but the first one was Fantasy. It was the first person to hit me back and was like, okay, you've got some, got some ideas here. Um, and yeah, I worked with him for four years. Uh, yeah, four years, I think it was. Which label? Was... Uh, Easy Records. Easy. Okay, right. Yeah. Back when he was running that. Um and yeah, he linked me up with, I'd done tunes with Skibber and Harry Shotter. And yeah, he kind of, I was like driving around. My mum was driving me around to places just to watch fantasy sets so I could hear my music in a club situation. Wicked. I remember the first time ever was uh, I sent fantasy a bunch of new tunes and he was playing at the Concord uh, for Devotion that same night. And he was like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play a couple of these tracks tonight. Begged my mum to take me down there. She just drove me down to Concord. Snuck in with fake ID, my cousin who looks identical to me, but four years older. So he used his ID, got in and fantasy played my tune. And I remember being at the front of the front of the crowd. My mum was sitting down at the back of Concord because she's too old for this now. <laughs> but I was down the front and I remember hearing the tune drop. And then Skibbity pulled it up and got a reload. And I ran from the front of the club all the way to the back just to scream at my mum, my song's got a reload, my song's got a reload. And ran straight back to the front to hear it drop again. And uh, that was the first time I ever heard my music in a club. And it was through fantasy. And yeah, my first release was through Fantasy as well. Um, that was a track called Dub Style with Funster on it. You will allow people to know that one. Yes, that was that was actually my first 
official leveler release. Okay. I think it was. I think so, yeah. I think it was my first vinyl. I've got the vinyl at home. Oh, right, right, yeah. So, right. I, yeah, I suppose this era, everything was pressed. Yeah, and that was the other issue that was of trying to produce then. It had to be at a certain level. You couldn't just put anything out then because there's a lot of money invested in vinyl and stuff. So this was long before digital releases was even a thing. Um, but yeah, so I had a couple of releases out on Fantasy's label. And then that's when the digital age came in. <clears throat> I remember Fantasy calling me and was like, right, we're going to do like this digital only. Like, what the hell? <laughs> How can you release music without having it on vinyl? That doesn't make sense. And it just kind of went against everything I knew about the music industry. Yeah. <clears throat> and he was like, no, no, music, that digital music, this is the future. It's going to take over. I was like, all right, well, I'm a kid. You've you're been in the scene for, you know what he's all about. Okay, let's do a digital release. Um, and that was an EP called Fire for Them. Um, I I remember that. that yeah, and that yeah, was my that first was ever a big EP. I was, it was noisy jump up. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it's very noisy jump up. Was it uh, Envy? Wasn't it Envy? Yeah, yeah. that was the yeah. MC I, was, I grew up with and crawling. Oh, it was really. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so it was always me and him. Leveler and Envy was kind of like the duo in yeah, school yeah. as as the only music kids. Um, but yeah, I, I don't really know what he's up to now. I've not spoken to him in a while. But um, yeah, and that, and that was kind of. My first releases and working with fantasy. I mean, that's got to be 2009, I want to say. Probably around that, yeah. I feel like, yeah. What are we now? 2023, Jesus. Yeah, it probably could be about 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. It was my first release, proper leveler, like the start of the leveler journey. And that were, that, and that got, I mean, obviously these were getting supported by a lot of people as well. Like, um, you know. Again, you don't really know back then. Yeah. But you didn't have promo sheets and feedback sheets. and oh, you didn't have <laughs> videos from raves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you didn't have videos or the, you know, like the Instagram posts with your feedback on. So you don't really know. I remember Fantasy, yeah. <laughs> I remember Fantasy telling me that he sent the music out and he was like, oh yeah, DJ Hype really likes this track. And this was at AIM time as well. So we had AIM and we could chat to DJs on AIM. And we're jumping straight on. I was like, oh, hype. I hear that you like my track. And yeah, it was like, Fantasy called me. He was like, don't bag, don't like hassle these artists. Like, he's just, he likes it. He didn't need 12 messages from you. He was like, oh, okay, right. I learned the lesson then. Don't hassle artists. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I learned the hard way. Um, but yeah, and that was my entry into the start of the leveler journey, I guess, was those first releases on Easy um, that kind of set me up for just the jump up journey I went on for a, a long time. I mean, obviously, that is your, your initial into the scene you would like real jump up yeah. obviously multi-function as well i mean in what sort of time did you start putting on events because um, you obviously been at you you know been an event promoter now for a long time yeah been a very long time so we uh what happened then i was working in a bank at the time and i was must have been 18 by then and I don't know that I work in the bank whenever we used to order people bank cards because this was again <laughs> okay, showing my age. But this all, is the, all these 18 year old kids are going to be like, what are these two old people <laughs> talking about? <laughs> so it was just when Chip and Ping was invented and these new cards had chips wow. in them. Oh. And um, when we had to order people's, they were called a multi function card because they had multiple uses. And I just remember sitting there bored at work one day going, multi function music, that's not a cool name for a, for a brand or something. And then, uh, yeah, it just always stuck with me. Um, and then eventually I set it up as a label and was like, I had all this music that Fantasy didn't want to put out, sort of stuff he'd said no to that I still really liked and I wanted an outlet for it. Mm. I never really sent demos to any other labels. I just kind of done everything in-house. Um, and yeah, so I had my, the first few multifunction releases were me. And then we had Voltage's first ever release was like multifunction number four. What, his first uh, ever? First ever, ever, ever wow. single, yeah. And then he, we had another couple of tracks from Voltage. Um, yeah, and I said it just kind of grew into this platform to put jump up music out on. Uh, initially, it was just for my stuff, and then 
Uh, I've got a few other friends in the game that I've met through MySpace and AIM. And yeah, I was putting out other music from other people and it was going good. And and then uh, I promoted and Brighton hit me up and was like, have you ever done an event with your, with your label? Nope, it's something I'd love to do. Just had no idea how to do it. So we linked up with another promoter. Um, which, pro- which promoter was that? Been... It was uh, Serotonin. Oh, really? Serotonin, bit... yeah. No, no, not. Kyle. Kyle. Oh, yeah, Kyle. And, and Brad, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was okay, then right. they'd done the first ever multifunction event. And it went really well. We went pure jump up. I think we had Magistrate and X-Man headlining. And <laughs> yeah, it was like, it was absolutely rammed. And then uh, that's when I met, um, who was, I think Ross was the manager at the time. Yeah. The, the, the Vogues. And then we got chatting and he was like, one one thing led to another. We, we was chatting back and forth for a while online and stuff. And he was like, why don't you do this, do this event thing on your own? Like, you don't have to link up with other promoter. We'll give you a date to do it yourself. I was like, okay, cool. And then done it. And again, I just rammed it with as much jump up as possible because that was all I cared about at the time. I was so blinkered to jump up. I didn't, like even other labels like Critical or anything like that. I had no idea about what they were doing at the time. No, I, was, I was jump up and that yeah. was it. And uh, so we were just throwing raves and people were just getting busy. We were doing whatever we put on, it was selling out for about seven or eight years, wow. multifunction events. From the first seven or eight years, it was just every event done well. And we were on to a winning formula. And I don't really know what that formula was. It kind of like made itself the more we worked at it. And then by the end of the eight years, we was just like, okay, we know what we're doing. It's kind of like, yeah, event after event after event. And it was just growing and growing. Um, yeah, and, and again, I've got off on a tangent. I don't no, know, I, I mean, I suppose, I suppose you, I know, I suppose you being, uh, being the producer, kind of with releasing music as well, I feel like that was quite different, maybe, for that era. I, don't, I mean, obviously, I don't what, know. Are you putting music out on the label? Yeah, and having a night, and that probably then feeding into the night and creating yeah, a but... community around it, maybe for sort of filling a... Yeah, yeah, filling a gap in the market. I guess. Well, at the time, I I knew very little about the industry and the scene, <clears throat> about how things really worked. I would just I had this little this baby of multifunction that I can put music out and I can throw parties and they work and people are sending me demos because they want to release on the label and we were getting top of the new urban charts at the time <laughs> before long before Beatport was well Beatport was around but DNB never got in the Beatport no, charts no, back no. then um, and yeah and it was this thing and it was I was just riding the wave i didn't really know where it was going i didn't really have any goals or ambitions i was just having fun making music putting it out on my label i never sent demos to anyone else i just oh yeah cool i've made four tracks that i like boom let's do an ep next month and it was i just done that repeatedly for years and years um and then suddenly it started spilling into offers to play shows in other countries and yeah, and it just kind of like, wow, I can actually, what, you're offering me that much money to go to Spain and play music that I love making and playing. It was like, absolutely, I'm there. And uh, it just kind of just rolled and then eventually got a first agent when things were getting busy. And right. yeah, it literally just snowballed from there. I never really had any goal or, or direction. I was just riding the wave. Did you did you think that you could do it as a full-time career or again, um, it only just, it wasn't a, it wasn't a full no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't at the time because I. So I had a daughter when I was quite young. I was eighteen when I had my daughter, right. and I got a full time job in the bank because I needed to pay, needed to provide. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, I worked at the bank. I was there for about five years. <clears throat> really long story short, I got accused of gross misconduct for something at the, at the bank. I recorded to the office, and they were like, "Right, while we investigate, we're going to suspend you on full pay while we investigate." And in that time, I had like three months off, and then. 
I'd had to like turn down shows because I'd work at the bank on a Saturday. So back of my mind, I'm like, right, okay, well, I've got three months now where I'm still getting paid. I'm just going to make as much music as I possibly can. And in that time, I made like, I know, 50 tracks or something. Oh, and I, I just, every morning, I treated it as a full-time job. Um, and then, yeah, I was making money from it. I was selling tracks to certain labels or whatever and doing bits and bobs to earn money. And I was like, actually, now I've been given this opportunity that I can focus full-time. And for a few months at least, finances wasn't a worry because I was still get on salary. I was like, okay, I, 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 I could do this. And then I went in for my hearing. They found out it wasn't me that done, done the, something I got accused okay. of. I got told, okay, we found out it wasn't you. Go back to work tomorrow. And I was like, no, I, I, I don't want to. And then I was there and then. I was what, like, did, you tell, did you tell him at the tribunal? Well, at the tribunal? At the time, because I, like, I, was, I was at the head office. You're do like a whole like dramatic, like, hey, it goes back. <laughs> you know, Chucking my badge in him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was um, it was in the head office at the time, so I couldn't. But the no, next no. day, I, I handed my notice into my old boss. Wow. I was like, "Yeah, I'm I'm done." Um, yeah, for the shit they put me through. I remember it was like two days before Christmas. But you I got really real, right, right? Yeah, and it was sort of like a really dark period. I didn't know what was going to happen, but it turned out that if I just work full time in music, I can make enough money off this to survive. Um, and my wife, again, super supportive. She was always like, "Yeah, let's do it. Like, let's you will set you up a little office in the corner, and you can work from home and." Yeah, and it's and that was fourteen years ago, and I've not had a, another job since. I've kind of made music work. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's uh, it's inspiring to to hear, and I think inspiring for people, especially being in that kind of position as well. And you've got to provide for a family as well. You've mm. got three, two kids, two kids, two well. kids. Yeah. Um, I mean it's well off topic, but another thing on top of that is my son's um was born with a really rare brain condition. Right. Yeah. Uh, so he's in a wheelchair. He can't talk or walk um he's in specialist schools and he's it's 24 7 care with him um which me and my wife are very on top of and he's eight now um so yeah i was not just sort of normal parenting kid duties it's a carer for pretty much between me and my wife we're full-time carers as well as trying to run our businesses and stuff that we do on the side so it is a lot like it's 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 heavy and there's always something to worry about and yeah, so there's a lot to do. I mean, I guess with then kind of your career now, I mean, obviously you're away a lot of the weekends, but I guess the fact that you're around a lot during the week, yeah. you're now available to, to help in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. So Monday to Friday, me and my wife, we, we are, like, I've been with my wife 18 years. We're met in the school playground, it's kind of never been apart. So we are like, we're rock solid and we are a proper team and through her support, I am allowed to do, I, I, I get to allow to do what I want to do and, and work the way I want to work. And we smash the parent in between us. Like we've, we've got a really good, healthy working relationship that, because my wife also runs a children's charity as well. Okay. So she's always busy with that and, and with the music as well and the kids. So it's, it's, it's nonstop. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's allowed us to, well, she, my wife always supported me for so long, allowing me to try music as a career and, and like I said, allow me to travel the amount I do I'm barely home at the weekends I normally say goodbye on a Friday morning and I'm back Sunday night majority yeah. of weekends mm. but I work from home Monday to Friday I'm in the studio and my studio is at home so I am always about um yeah it's, it's it works whatever we're doing it yeah. just works no I mean again like you know hats off to be in that position I guess and I guess it makes it more real or serious I don't know maybe or like again treating it as a proper job and yeah, yeah. I, I have to like, I have to discipline myself because it's too easy to have a day off and it's too easy just to get up and go, oh, I can't be asked today. 
but you know that if you like there could be a missed opportunity or something that I could have done on that day that could have led to a huge thing I didn't do and that that's the mentality I had for so long was every minute not being productive or working towards something is is wasted time that was my mentality for a, for a very long time and it's got me this far because I I do have like a relentless work ethic every spare minute if I'm not in the studio I'm doing something to do with the businesses or running the events or whatever so yeah it is um it's a non-stop job if you want to try and make something in this industry because you can be you can say oh, I want to DJ forever but DJ on its own unless you're top tier isn't going to provide you a, a regular income um being a producer on your on its own necess- isn't necessarily unless again unless you're selling hundreds of thousands of units but where I've had the label for so long I do the events and then the DJ side, the remix work, the sample packs, there's like seven or eight different income streams within my job. So yeah, if, if there's a particular month that gigs are low, then I can work on something else that's going to earn. And there's always different ways that I've learned that you can earn from this industry if you work hard enough at it, basically. So yeah, I guess, sorry, I keep going off on a No, 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 it's really... That, it's again, really... that is, a, we've mentioned before we even press record, but that is a, a thing to... The future artists that want to look to come into this industry or if they see djs on videos on tiktok or whatever and they go i want to have a go at that like if you want to do it for fun absolutely get involved it's real fun real fun to be in, involved in this music if you want to turn it into a career it's hard work as you know yourself like running the label everything else you do yeah it's it's constant you gotta always be doing something always eye on the next prize or already planning for that next move and yeah, it is a relentless job to to make it work in this industry. I mean, it's sort of like uh, it's sort of said about you give up a nine to five to take on a twenty four seven in a way. Like absolutely. Like, um, I mean, I'll, t- I'll touch on it because I, I think I did sort of say to to talk on it as well. I mean, obviously we're talking about you know your progression, but I know that you sort of said recently that you had been feeling the the pressure or the end of last year. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't have to like yeah um, to say or whatever. No, I mean I've. No, I've always kind of been very like sound-minded. I've not really had any issues with mental health. Um, very fortunate in that sense. For the longest time, um, COVID really changed things. I don't know. I don't. I can't really pinpoint what it was, but the whole two years where everything I knew and loved was just flipped on its head, taken away from you, and yeah, you've got to fend for yourself now. I was like, music's all I'm good at. All I know is how to DJ and and stuff, and that was your primary income. And when it stripped away, I was lost for a long time and obviously not traveling because I, I was relentlessly just, I've been pretty much touring for like 14 years. Since I got my first international show, I don't think I've ever had longer than like two months where I haven't had a gig. Right. It's just been re- relentlessly busy. And uh, it got to the, yeah, so COVID really changed my mindset. So when we come back from COVID and then gigs started again, I had this weird, like nervous, anxious energy before a show like the day before the show, if I knew that I've got to get on a plane tomorrow to go to some random town in Germany for a show, the day before, I'm like, itchy. I'm like, Mrs. is like, are you right? I'm like, no, I'm, I don't, I'm really worried about this flight tomorrow, but I've, I've done a flight a million times. There's nothing to worry about. I don't know why I feel this way. And it was just getting back into the swing of gigging after COVID. Really like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know quite how to explain it, but I didn't enjoy the traveling process. No one enjoys traveling anyway, but it was... I always just saw it as part and parcel of the job. You got to get on a flight. You got to travel. You got to sit in a car for a couple of hours. But then post COVID, it was like I really don't want to do that. And 
it wasn't like a conscious decision because I knew that I wanted to go and play shows. I want to go, that's all I've wanted for two years was to get back out and do my job. Um, but the traveling, I was just super anxious about it. And that lasted for about a year. Really? Yeah, every gig I'd done last year, I'd have some level of worry or something's going to go wrong. And I remember actually one of the first big gigs back I'd done after COVID was uh, Let It Roll on tour. I think it was the last ever noisier show in Czech Republic. And I was playing straight after him. Straight after straight, noisy. straight after noisy. <laughs> no pressure. This was literally about three months after COVID, like after we reopened. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I think I played Volks a couple of times. I've done a few shows, um, but then this was like seven thousand people in a huge warehouse. I'm standing side of the stage, and like noises on their final ten minutes, and I'm like shaking. I'm pacing up and down. I was going to the toilet, thinking I might be sick. This is ten minutes before my set, and I've never experienced anything like it. I remember like. I, did, I was trying to text my missus and call her. I was like, I didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, I don't think I can go and play. Like, I physically really, feel really like I'm... That bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I physically feel... But I'm like, trying to pep talk myself. I'm like, come on, like, like, this is stupid. I've done, done this. this. I've yeah. done this a million times. I know what I'm doing. I just, why do I feel like this? Um, and I, yeah, I still, to this day, can't really pinpoint what it was that caused that, but... Did, did you, were you fine when you got on or were you still... Yeah, two tunes in, I'm right. absolutely fine. Right, right. First, first, I remember noises like... Because uh, it was my time that played at the time, and he was like on the mic doing, "Yeah, thank you, we love you." End of noisier, yeah. and then passed me the mic, and I'm like shaking, supposed to be sick, and I'm like, "I'm not, uh, no, 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 leave it." And my son's like, "You're not, not a mic guy." Then I was like, "Absolutely not, like not right, not now. right now." <laughs> yeah, three tunes in, I'm make some noise. <laughs> yeah, so that first couple, yeah, it's all it was. As soon as I remember, like trying to press play on my first tune, and my hands shaking, and so, yeah, it was really odd. But then, yeah, so a couple of tracks in, all the nerves just seem to go when you remember, like, oh no, actually. This is just like riding a bike. I know what I'm doing. So you said that you said this was happening. This still carried on for a while. Yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, and that that later roll show was end of last year, I think it was. So then that kind of like started the anxiousness, I guess, um, with traveling. And then it was kind of all last year. Every time I'd have a gig, I remember saying to my missus, "It was like, oh, do I need to do this show? I don't really want to travel. I feel really funny, and I don't want to go to the airport and." Yeah, and then I, I just, for the longest time, I was in that mindset. I don't really know why. And then eventually, I think I did a show only a couple of months ago. I can't remember where I was, somewhere abroad. And I remember coming back the next day, and I said to my missus, I was like, I didn't feel any worry about doing that. That's the first time I've got on a plane in three years and not worried about it. And then from then, I've been fine. So for somehow, the anxiety just disappeared. Yeah, that's was. Um, I mean, I don't know whether or not, because you like, you took that such a long break yeah i could have just like yeah i don't know it was like I don't, yeah you, i said i couldn't reset really, you in a way i yeah, know I you have to like really, learn it again in a way exactly yeah, yeah I, I couldn't really explain it or pinpoint exactly what it was that made me feel like that but it was i don't know only if that was only a few months ago um and the last few months it was like i had a really busy end to the year as well i think i was the doing so many shows out every weekend for like four months straight over like back-to-back shows yeah i think it was this this summer that we've just had from the start of summer till about a month ago, or oh, what's that, even longer, about a six, seven month period, I think I had like one weekend off. I had a crazy busy summer of festivals. I'm um, three weeks in Australia and New Zealand as well in that time. Um, and that was like 10 gigs in, or nine gigs in three weeks as well. So it was really busy and relentless touring. And then every time I'd get home on a Sunday, I'd get a few hours sleep and I'm, I'm back in the office at 9am Monday morning. I'm back in my studio working tunes and I'm, and I was doing that until the minute I need to leave the following Friday to go to the airport again. And it was pretty much like a 24-7 working. Yeah. 
if I, if I wasn't asleep, I was in the studio or flying or out with the kids or whatever. But taking family, kids stuff aside, it was just nonstop work. Um, yeah, and I got to a point, it was like beginning of December, I was just dead. I was burnt out. I was waking up in the morning and like, I have nothing left to give for today. Like, I can't even do anything. And, and my missus was like, right, let's just, let's just have a day off. Like, I've, I haven't got work today. Let's just sit on the sofa. We'll just binge watch something on Netflix. Kids are at school. We'll have a day off. And then that day off was, was so nice. The next day was like, it's been naughty. Let's have another day off. And yeah, that day off lasted four weeks. The entire month of December, I didn't step foot in my studio. I didn't do, I did as little as humanly possible for four weeks. And, and, and I felt I needed it. I really felt like it was helping. And it, and it gave me time to, without constantly working on, on something or being involved on a project, it gave me time to actually just sit and think and reflect and plan and analyze. And yeah, that's just kind of what I'd done for that four weeks was just sort of reassess where I want to go and what I want to do next and what my goals are. And I've started this year, like I feel like a whole new man, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I've got this, this oomph in me that I, that I lost at the end of last year. I was just, yeah, burnt out and the break was really needed and now I'm ready to go. Levels back. I am back. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's that, it, again, it's interesting hearing because I think it's almost like that regenerative, if that's even the right word, I don't know who said it. But that thing of, yeah, because I've, I've been through it too myself, to be honest, and I, I kind of had a similar thing, I think. I mean, probably not quite that, that extreme because although I've been starting to learn to tour, that intensity is unbelievable i mean I've, i think i remember when even a couple of shows that we we did i, I can't remember where it was where we we we, we you played in the netherlands and then mm. got a flight back and then i swear you had to go somewhere like to play in nottingham and then come yeah. back and then play in bristol and you've done it on like <laughs> i remember that very yeah. little sweep yeah, and I, was, like, we was together on that night at that netherlands show right yeah 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 so yeah i remember doing the netherlands show for Wazies event yeah, wasn't yeah, it yeah. So we done, oh the overview event with Wazies. yes yeah, so yes. we've done that yeah and then i remember coming home landing driving for four hours to nottingham done the show drive four hours back to brighton because we was hosting the critical event in brighton so i played there and it was like three sets in 24 hours yeah, that was it and yeah and it was and that's kind of like not a standard weekend, but that happens a lot in the year. Sometimes you can get two, three shows a year where you're it's just nonstop flying or traveling or in the car, two hours sleep a night because you've got to carry on to the next place. And yeah, it's, and as you like you said, when you as you're coming into it, you realize how mentally and physically knackering it is just doing one show. And, and then like again, you're talking about people, you know, talking about getting involved in this industry and what's actually required. Like that's yeah. the the other side of it. And then like you're saying, then you're you're not allowing yourself to have any time off no. and and there's a breaking point i think there's a breaking point for anybody i don't we're we're only human you're not like Absolutely. You, you are pretty pretty impressive <laughs> like i'm not gonna lie like not sitting there's like stroking your ego too much but you know to to have that and everything that you're doing and i know what it's like and i know that feeling like you feel like i can't have time off mm. i've got to keep on going but and, and that and that obviously that does like you're saying help you achieve so much but 
then it's like you know and obviously yeah learn the kind of hard way yeah it, it was getting out of that that lazy period that i struggled with because i oh, yeah. like, joking joking to my missus was like Do you know what i think we should just sign on and be on the dole like, i can i can i can i can live this lifestyle I, I could do this we would just order a mcdonald's for lunch every day and sit on the sofa just binging we, i think we completed netflix in that month yeah. like that's all we did and uh yeah, I was kind of like. But then, when when have you you have not done that? No, I'd never, never done, never. never. Like I might have had the odd week holiday with the yeah. kids or whatever, but I've never actually just taken time off for you. Yeah, for you. yeah, and it was. I felt like I needed it, and and I was forcing myself. There's times that uh, in my industry you can't just have four weeks off, so I'm still doing emails on my phone or popping down to do the odd thing that I, that I had to do. Um, but yeah, I'd get in the studio and be like, oh, I don't even like it in here anymore, and oh no, quick send that email, I've got a thing, I've got to send a file or something and then I'm back on the sofa. And, and I felt, yeah, it was really naughty. Really, like, me, and, <laughs> me and the missus go look at each other and it's like, oh, I feel like I'm cheating myself by doing this because I should be working. Um, but like I said, the, the benefits that I've, I felt like I've had from having that little break definitely made it worthwhile. So my, my next question to you is, is it now making you think about going forward and are you already planning it like changes yeah like, i don't know like yeah um <laughs> no i'm just gonna work <laughs> yeah no no i i am um, i mean i was thinking like plans as in my career i've planned a lot in my head like i know what i want to be doing for the next year and where i want my sound to go and that sense um it's i'm i've got very clear-headed now like for the longest time i, I was lost i mean i feel like we could go back on that though I mean to, to understand that the, the change in my sound that happened like four or five years ago um and I the point before that well, so I was doing the jump up stuff for so long and I know that is really off topic from what you your question was no, 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 we'll, no. we'll come back to that yeah. <laughs> well we can we can talk about that no I'm just gonna say are you, have, are you like are you thinking consciously now about yeah about giving yourself more time off yeah like yeah my missus has said if my missus has told me that if i've got a gig that weekend she's making me have the monday off so she's like you are not going to go straight back into the office first thing monday morning when you don't get home from till sunday night and i was like yeah i need that because yeah i do need just to wind down yeah we need to have it off or start later on in the day yeah exactly so, like, so have a lazy monday <laughs> yeah absolutely there's there's things we've done to to put in place to kind of help not get us so burnt out yeah, my wife works ridiculously hard as well on her charity. And yeah, we would both just got to a point at the end of the year and everyone was miserable, cost of living crisis and all that. It was just one of them like, oh, we need some time off. <laughs> okay, so going into the next question <laughs> about your sound, because yeah. we nearly touched on it. And I know that is definitely a subject that a number of people would be interested to know about. And I'm probably interested in it as well, is obviously going from Levler being leveler jump up leveler to now kind of an evolution and progression of your sound and moving away from that i mean i don't yeah. know when the last time you put a proper jump up release oh it's what? been a while um I, I couldn't even tell you when the last one was to be honest but so it's, yeah back in the multifunction days as i said i was just releasing loads of music of my own whatever jump up i made if i wanted to put it out i'd just fling it out done that for like 10 years not eight nine years with my own music um and to be honest like i would get after that eight years in i was like a bit bored of this now <laughs> i was going to the studio and going all right what riff am i going to make today because that's yeah. all effectively what i was doing was just making wobbly screechy jump up stuff <laughs> and at the time like i loved making it and i do 
love the energy of jump up i wouldn't always love jump up i've got a real place in my heart for it, it really has love it but <laughs> I was just getting, I'd been doing it for so long and I felt like I'd exhausted my sound within Jump Up. I didn't really know what else I could add to it without just repeating the same thing over and over. Um, and when I was having that kind of brainwave of like, right, well, where do I want to go next? What do I want to explore? That's when I decided to write an album. And my first album uh, was called Genesis. It came out in 2017. Yeah. That, at the time... I was like, this is Leveler showing what else I can do, spreading my wings. I'm not just Jump Up. I listen back to that album now, and I listen to an artist that has no idea what he wants to do. So I listen to every one of those tracks on that album, and they're so disjointed. Individually, in their own tracks, they're cool ideas. Like Production stuff was crap back then, but (laughs) that's just where I've got a bit snobby now. Um, But as a stylistic album, I listen back to it, and I hear an artist that doesn't know who he wants to be. And that was the defining point for me where I changed everything. And I put that album out and I remember getting some of the feedback sheets and people were saying, other like DJs I respected were like, this this isn't you, this doesn't sound like Leveler, this is not what I expected, I don't really know what this sounds like. I like that tune, I like that one. But it's, yeah, the general consensus of the feedback was How many tunes did you have on it? I think it was like 17. Because I had okay, just, because right. I was just yeah. making loads of ideas, and then I was like, okay, well, I need that one on there to show that I can make a liquid track. I want to, I want to do this one because I want to show that I can make neurofunk. And it was just a really disjointed album. It was kind of like, yeah, I see that album release as like the end of level of one. Right, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that part was, one. Yeah, it was kind of <laughs> like a line in the sand between that era of my career and. Right. Like, I loved that era. Like, Jump Up, I toured the world doing Jump Up. And I got to tour, like, South... Setting you up to where you are now. Yeah, I mean, I got, I got to do, like, Rampage a couple of times, 15,000 people with, with multifunction. We've done, I think, the five years of multifunction set there. And, yeah, like, I can't knock Jump Up and that sound. I still love it. And it, it as I've done tours of Australia and South America, and I went everywhere just playing Jump Up. And I would always have fond memories and a love for that sound and that period of my life. But it was after that album come out, I was like, right, okay, I need to focus on what I want to do. I don't know yet. I love the whole circumference of drum and bass. Like, I just love everything about drum and bass. I'm so immersed in this in this scene and this music that I, I don't just, I don't have favorite genres or anything. Just a good tune is a good tune to me. And Amen. Yeah, <laughs> as I should be. And um, I was just trying to work out what I wanted to do. And I remember just going, I'm finding a cool sample um, of this girl breathing. And I was like, all right, let's just turn it into something. And I made three hours and I made Exhale, that track. And then that tune like changed everything for me. Um, I remember making it on like a Friday. I think I sent it out to a 10 DJs at the weekend. And then by the Tuesday, Noisier had put it on their Noisier radio show. And I was like, my God, I only made the tune like three days ago. And it's like, finished. No, it was just, initially it was a one take. It took me three hours to make it. Oh my God, Noisier are playing it. Noisier have never played anything of mine. And then from that, I think I ripped it and put it on my SoundCloud. And then I was getting loads of messages from artists. Oh, can I have a copy? And then and labels were like, oh, is it signed? And I was like, what the hell? I've never had this response to any music I've ever made or ever done before. I was like, okay, maybe this is my calling then. Maybe this is the sound that I should delve deeper into. And it was, yeah, a bit more deeper, a bit more mean, uh, a bit minimal-ish, but back, <laughs> kind of. But I was kind of, I feel like I had a jump up influence to a darker, techier sound. That was kind of after Exhale, done what you had done. 
um, I was like, right, well, that's that's my angle then. And then, uh, yeah, I remember Kazra uh, done a top 10 on Beatport and he put Exhale at the top. And I remember he followed me on Twitter and I was like, you, you, this is critical music. They're like, that's nothing, to, not what I mean. Like, not, I don't know why they'd be supporting my tracks. It's so far from what I'm used to doing. Um, and then he followed me on Twitter. So I jumped in the DMs and it was like, easy mate, thanks for putting Exhale in your chart. Here's a folder of a load of new music I'm sitting on. And he replied was like, wow, are these unsigned? Can I please have them? And I was like, oh my God. Easy as that. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, I did never in a million years expect Critical to even pay attention to try to jump up leveler. But it was that Exhale track that kind of turned everyone's perception of, I guess, me as an artist. Gave you like quotation marks, credibility. Yeah, yeah, which I didn't really have a lot of before I mean, outside I mean, of the jump up scene. Harsh. No, I mean, no, 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 I completely get what you mean. Because outside of the jump up scene, I, I didn't really, I wasn't really looked at. I might have done like a few shows where I'd be the one jump up act amongst a load of other bigger names and I'd always feel out of place. But it was that exhale track that kind of like, people took me seriously, I guess. Yeah. And it just took me to that next level. And then, yeah, started working with Critical. Um, done like three EPs for them over the course of the next 18 months. Um, and then, yeah, done the release with Noisier's label as well all that kind of come around that same time that I was just exploring darker, more menacing kind of stuff as opposed to just screechy hands in the air, jump up. I'm trying to think what year, what year, where, when are we talking now? It's like 2017, uh, 2018. 2018. Yeah. It was, yeah. My album was 2017. I remember that. And then Exhale was the first release that came out after the album, which was the end of 2017. 2018 is when I started working with Critical. I mean, I definitely think that that was like, it, like the timing of it I think with a lot of the sound that the kind of the scene went on this kind of like merging of like jump up influenced tech kind mm. of it was definitely a real yeah that I think that was a real sort of point where a lot of that kind of came together yeah for sure like voltage and serum and yeah there was some the, of up uh, some of our lot as well mm, like clinical the, the music was really exciting around that time and and yeah, I just, I, I still had like a jump up influence in me and I wanted to kind of incorporate that into the darker sound and people were liking what I was doing. So I was just, I just ran with that sound. Um, and yeah, going on to like future plans now, I want to do something new. I don't know what it, I, 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 <laughs> I didn't know what it was for a long time until I took this time back to kind of like reassess everything. So I still, I'm still working with Critical, don't like take that away. I'm still doing that music as well. But I was like, I want to try and challenge myself now because I've been, again, exploring that sound like deeply for five years. And I'm like, I want to see what the next thing is. So, yeah, I am on a, a working on a side project under a new name. Oh, here we go. We've got a bit of an exclusive right here. <laughs> well, other than that's all you're getting. To be oh, fair. <laughs> I was about to say, like, no, that's all you get. Is, is, it, is it a Donk alias? Oh, I wish, but that wish. Not, <laughs> I wish I was good enough to make Donk, but that stuff's just so powerful. Oh, yeah, no, no, he's, he's still drum and bass, um, but it's something. It's a sound that I wanted to explore. It is a style that's I've never heard before. I don't know anyone that's doing it. I feel like there's a gap in the market for it, so I was like, I'm going to try and do it. And but it's it's very far away from the work that I've put into making Leveler where it is. So it was kind of like, all right, well, let's do a new name. I mean, for the record, none of this is released yet, but it's sitting there. There's like an album's worth of music. Wow. There's, yeah, I've got the name, the logo, the brand, and everything's ready to go. 
Oh, this that's really exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you're and you're feeling again energized. By yeah, I really I'm really excited about it. It's 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 a far away from what Leveler is now, as in the critical sound. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. It's just a it's just been a fun project to work on where I feel like when no one knows who I am, uh, there's no rules to it. There's no like I said, like expectations from it because I feel like that with Leveler. I'd have to, yeah, like I said, I feel like there's expectations when I know that there's labels that want music from me and stuff, and I feel like I have to work within the level of framework, if that makes sense. And the drum and bass framework as well, yeah. which can be... Exactly, it's very, yeah, that formulaic, <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you know, and so that's why I felt free making this new project, because I, I kind of chucked the rule book out of the window. I just like, yeah, that sounds cool. I would never do that as leveler, because it's, it's so wrong. But this new name can do it because no one knows it's me, and it, it, I, I'm treating it like a totally separate person creating this pro this other project. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm gonna see. I don't really know how it's gonna be released and stuff. I'm talking to a few labels and stuff at the moment, um, but I may reveal what if I'm the same guy down the line. I don't know. We'll see how well it does. Guess, <laughs> if look, it flops, you know, then I forget about it. But if it blows up, it's me. I'll take all the credit. <laughs> I mean, it can be difficult. I mean, I guess it's that thing, isn't it, between like doing what you want to do to trying to do stuff for the audience, and that it's a real fine balance oh, between. Mate. It's a very fine line. Yeah. Um, similarly with DJing as well, I guess. Like, there's a fine line between like an artistic vision and being true to yourself as an artist, but then your job is also to please a crowd. That's ultimately what you're there to do is make that crowd enjoy themselves, give that crowd a good time. So, yeah, it, there is a fine line between trying to please yourself and please others. And, yeah, it's, it's a tightrope. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> for you as well, being, do you, st you still get booked for jump up? events um, or not as much not, now not or, as much or, like how does that work have you had people kind of yeah was, surprised when they come and see you and they're like i i this do this isn't what i expected I do. especially I especially more so abroad because uh, if you play in belgium right yeah oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> in belgium i'll always have to play jump up in belgium but uh, there's certain gigs i'll do that and i'll come home with an instagram message the next day and it's like, oh you didn't play any jump up i only love you because of your old jump up and it's like oh, i'm sorry like <laughs> i don't know what to say that's just not me anymore um, but yeah, I did actually play a show in Belgium last year called Criticals. Um, okay. yeah, uh, yeah, and they booked me. There was like, we want to do a Leveler classic jump up set where you play what you was doing. Because yeah, but in, I should probably mention in that jump up period of my life, Belgium was huge for jump for jump up. That that era, 2012-13. Yeah, like... 2013, I think it was. I'd done 40 gigs in Belgium in one year. That's the how crazy it was. It was almost oh, every every what's going on. It, the, the scene was just blowing up over there. They loved jump up, and they loved the UK sound of it. Um, and there wasn't hardly any producers from Belgium making that sound at the time. So every single weekend, it was there was like me, Mackie G, Gov, Turno, um, Dominate. Oh yeah, Headex yeah. kind of come into it as well a little bit later on. But yeah, it was us every weekend. We were on the Eurostar going to do another show. <laughs> All right, lads, we're back again. Yeah, it was. It, it was almost as like that. It was. It's quite a surreal time, actually, if I remember back to that. Like you're saying, like, the, you know, the, all these UK artists, but it was very specifically the Jump Up guys. Yeah. They just, playing big shows. Well. Yeah, they were really big shows. And that's where there was a weird contrast between I'd go to, to Belgium and I'd be like the headline act at an event for 5,000 people, along with like a big old Jump Up lineup with it. And, and it was this this huge thing and then the next day i'd come home and then i'd be playing in like room two in bristol because uk hadn't 
I wasn't big in the UK yet. I hadn't really much of a name for myself. My sound definitely blew up bigger abroad. I, I, really? I was working abroad a lot more than I was in the UK in terms of playing shows. Um, that kind of changed when the sound changed as well because I feel like my newer sound is more UK friendly, I guess. And I, I kind of want to say that the Belgium scene, although it's still there, is not... Oh, it's like, not the same. It's not like the, they no. don't have the frequency of no. jump pub parties. No, I mean, the sound itself has, has changed a lot. The... The, the Belgian jump up, I guess, has kind of got its own subgenre of place now. Is the Belgian <laughs> yeah, jump yeah, up yeah. is different to jump. And up. well, they've got the Belgian guys coming through now. Yeah, well, and that's the other thing that they didn't have at the time we were going over there a lot. There wasn't any homegrown producers. Um, obviously, we were kind of like, I guess, in coming over, showing the UK sound has kind of inspired that next generation of Belgian producers now because there's some guys over there that are killing it, like Bass Tripper and all them guys that are doing really well, and. Yeah, it's nice to know that, I guess I was kind of a part of the, the birth of that, I guess. Because I remember the first Belgian show I played was for guys called City Flow, Antwerp City Flow. And they said to me that this we are we just love jump up music and we're going to try and bring jump up to Belgium. And then and me and I think it was J-Line and Dub Zero, we were the first three to go and play the first event. And yeah, I've kind of been, I mean, drum and bass has been in Belgium for a long time a lot of the legends not used to play there level no but not the, the jump up movement that took over Belgium but yeah I was a part of that birth of it and it was it was really sick to to be a part of it to watch it grow and now you've got all these homegrown artists that are selling out their hometown shows with Belgium DJs and it's brilliant to see with their own specific genre yeah they've created their sound and their yeah. own Belgian jump up and yeah <laughs> I mean, like any any whether or not I like the music or personal taste or aside, I respect it so much. Like you've you've created and built a scene, and yeah, they go nuts for it over there. The, the jump up stuff. It's like, crazy, it, kind of like the rabbit holes it goes down, or how something can catch on somewhere. Yeah, and, and it's and it just takes a life of its own. Absolutely, and it, and it just sort of spiraled into this thing now. So then when I got asked to do a classic jump up set, I was like, yeah, one hundred percent. I was like, I'd love to. Not, I've not played. <laughs> like that my old level of stuff for four years or whatever it's been and yeah i had so much fun like it was, <laughs> yeah i was in one of my favorite venues uh, called entrepot in bruges and yeah it was packed and yeah i was just it, in before a lot of people a lot of big people from belgium are going to be watching this you know like, i want to book a level of jump ups so. yeah I'm, 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 I'm in i'm in shout shout my agent yeah i want to be on that Eurostar again like living like old time <laughs> uh so yeah we yeah it was the belgium scene yeah that was a real I got, it's got a special place in my heart, Belgium, and the scene and everything connected to it. Cool. I do what something I did want to ask because I don't know quite what's going on. So obviously you've been running multifunction in Volks now. Yep. Uh, you are you are just specifically really a Volks. Yeah. Only. Um, so you tried to, I know you try to go about and do a few things. Yeah. I mean, different takeovers and things. Yeah, we've done like a few um, like label invites and stuff with other brands in different places. Uh, when Multifunction was a, a label, that's when I was really trying to push the tour inside of it. Like I said, we've done the Rampage thing for five years of Multifunction. We've done another, a few other Belgium shows with Murdoch, who, who runs Rampage. He sort of linked up, up Multifunction events in Belgium. And we were trying to just bring our movement and our sound, because it's mainly like me, J-Line, Hizzle Guy, Freak. These guys were like exclusively working with us. And we were like us four, five, six acts, or whatever there was. We were just trying to play everywhere and take our sound. And we set it up a thing with the multifunctions, the MF showcase. It was like a, yeah, a set. Yeah. Like there's three of us and our host MC. And as soon as we announced that, I remember we got like 10 bookings in the first day of announcing it. And it was like, 
wow, okay, people people do actually want to see what multifunction's about. And yeah, we tried to tour it as, well, as far and wide as we could, but the Volks was always our home. That's where we kind of had a, a residency, I guess. And yeah, it was every two or three months we've done parties there. And yeah, I love the Volks, man, as you know. Like, it's just... it's <laughs> Who doesn't love the Volks? It's the mecca of D&B on the <laughs> South Coast. I love it. Um, I mean, we've done other shows in Brighton. We've done a couple at the Arch, done a couple at Concord too. Um, but ultimately, the Volks is... It's our home. Yeah, because uh, and then obviously you've expanded it now doing Sundays, which was like the Volks first, or I'd say it's the first, at least one of the first drum and bass day parties that I've mm. ever seen. Yeah, and that just came off the back of a conversation um, over summer. And like when I think it was the Jerome, the guy, the, man, the best manager. <laughs> oh no, Jerome, big up Jerome. <laughs> Anyone that's played at the Volks knows Jerome. And Jerome's definitely got them drunk. The living legend. <laughs> He's from Belgium. I don't know. I think I'm more Belgians. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he remember chatting to me outside the club one night, and he was like, yeah, all of this space, like, we own this. Like, during the day and in summer, we have tables and chairs. It's a cafe. And I was like, have you ever thought about doing a party out here? And he was like, well, we do certain outdoor events, but it's never really... So, like a, it's like uh, like the skinheads. And, yeah, they do, like, a mod weekend. Uh, uh, mod weekend. The mod weekend yeah. of all the mopeds and stuff. So they do, like, outdoor events, but they're never really... Not, But not even those are all, like, people sat outdoors. They're not yeah, DJs outdoors. Yeah, exactly. Like, so that's, that's where the idea was, like, okay, so how about if we put decks over there and we put the fence around here and we could put a sound system here, we could fit, like, 500 people out here. And the drone was like, we've never done it, but let's do it. And then that was it. The first Sundays was born. And at the time, there was no other daytime drum and bass events in Brighton, especially not open air. And yeah, I mean, the first one we did, it sold out like three, four months before. And okay. yeah, there was a waiting list on TicketSwap of like hundreds of people waiting to get tickets. And we was like, oh, we're onto something here. And it went really well. I remember we had the first year was they had Hybrid Minds back when they were like a couple of hundred quid to book. <laughs> long, before, right. long before Touch came out and they blew up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> We had them, we had AMC, uh, me and Turno went back to back with X-Man and Chrissy Chris. Yeah, the lineup was stacked. Like it would cost you 20 grand plus to book that lineup now. Um, but yeah, and we I, I, luckily I've working in this industry for so long, I've made a lot of friends and acquaintances within the scene so I can get mates rates here and there. I'm like, oh, I can come play our event for a bit cheaper than you normally would. And, yeah, yeah. and that has helped multifunction grow because we do get the chance to book, I guess, more artists and put on bigger lineups due to... I don't but my connections within the scene, nice. same as yeah. I've worked a long time with agents as well. And, and agents kind of, if you're an artist in the scene or you're in the scene, they treat you a bit different to just anyone putting on a party kind of thing. So I do feel like that, I don't really know where I'm going. With this, well, but... I think and play, <laughs> yeah. and playing a show like that as well, where it's very unique and yeah. it's kind of good. Yeah. And it was, it was a new vibe and it was something that artists wanted to come and play at. And so I said, the first year sold out, it was no question we'll do it next year. Next year sold out, next year sold out. And it was, yeah, every year we'd done it, we just try and put on varied lineups, catering to kind of every corner of the scene. And we always schedule it and timetable the sets so that the sound just gets progressively harder as the night goes on. So we'll always start off with the more deep rollers into a bit of liquid and then it'll go into a bit of jungle and then there'll be yeah it just kind of like when the jump up starts <laughs> last last set we go as noisy as possible um, but that's what i love about sundays as well is that it's it's we see the event as a musical journey is we want to encapsulate every corner of the drum and bass scene rather than just ramming it with with liquid acts or just ramming it with jump up acts we want to go full circle so any people that come to sundays they get to experience every 
element in every corner of the scene and that's an ethos that we've always stuck with um and right now we're in the process of booking the lineup for this year's one and we're sticking to the same formula no and i have to give you a hats off because i think that it can be very easy i mean i'm guilty of it as, as anything i mean, i have my own brand in a and label sound and whatever but there's not so so many events i mean especially not in brighton mm. i think that can always do something quite as broad as that like having alex perez on the same lineup as x-man yeah which we did that we did one year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i mean that doesn't happen as much these days absolutely so yeah it it was a really fun event to work on and every year we change the the layout of it and we work it a bit differently still just ironing any kinks out anything that we've like every time we do it we always sit down afterwards we're like right what we're well what we're gonna do next year what we're gonna change for next year and it's always evolving and it's always changing and we've got some things that we're planning for this year which we've never done before um so yeah it's, it's a really fun event to, to put together and this was actually kind of leading me on to one of my next questions because i don't know quite what it is i need to make uh, hopefully this podcast is going to come out in time but i'm seeing that you're doing something called the lock-in ah yes and i, I, I can you tell me what's going on <laughs> i don't know what's going on i'm, um, I'm seeing this i can't probably can because uh, yeah by the time this comes out we would have announced more details but yeah or even maybe it well, I need to, but when, when, what day? What day it's is on this? the 25th of February. This will be out by then. Yeah, but I mean, we're going to announce more information about right. it before then. But okay. yeah, so all we've done at the moment is just teased an image of a cage. Um, and it's called the lock-in. It's a day event inside the Volks. Again, the Volks have never done daytime parties, um, but it's something that they were open to, especially over winter when it's closed during the day. Um, so yeah, we come to them with an idea. It was like, we've got this concept of not necessarily just copying others but taking the inspiration of the the 360 thing is popping off right now right everyone wants to feel more involved and and yeah that 360 thing as soon as um obviously boiler room did it and then other artists have done it it's been around for a while but especially within drum and bass it's super popular at the moment so we're kind of doing similar to that we're playing it around we're gonna encapsulate the dj in a cage the dj booth (laughs) is gonna be in in a cage in the middle um and yeah, these full 360 surrounds, you can go around the cage, you can see the, the idea is that, yeah, with them vibes when there's a big drop and the cage rattles and, and we've got to have loads of lights attached to it and stro- and all sorts of like effects all, effects and stuff that we're going to bring in for this. Put this and, and, and this is going to be recorded and... Yes, like, we're looking, uh, yeah. yeah, we're looking to film it all and put the sets online afterwards yeah. and it will be, well, we're planning for it to be a regular thing um i think do you know what i think i actually do land i am going to be back in the uk are oh, you back that day yeah i yeah i think i land on the 23rd so you'll be jet lagged <laughs> well yeah we'll see how but, yeah doing. come down man come down it'll be it should be a good laugh it's something new for the vibes are you, are you going to be like announcing the acts as well yes right yes um i'm guessing you're playing i will be playing <laughs> we've got a few other special guests as well um which we will be announcing soon um i have to say right we're still working on it cut the backs but there's something else we're still trying to work on um before i can announce the lineup which is why it's not how okay. yet um but yeah the concept is cool and obviously as you know the size of the volks putting the decks in the middle is going to reduce capacity so it's really limited capacity and we want to try and treat it as like an exclusive thing that if you're not there and you don't you want to be a part of it you want to be there and and witness the dj in in the cage with all the lights on them and you're all around it and yeah it's just a new concept that a a fun twist on everyday 
parties and raving, I guess. I like it. I like it. I mean, I think I think as well, I was going to say that I know Elliot is going to be very happy that the DJ's in a cage. Because <laughs> when we, we did it, we do, obviously have been doing it with, yeah. uh, with Jack, but when the DJ, you know, people get so close to the decks, and that is one problem. I mean, you've seen on Boiler Room like a million yes, times. Exactly, there's always an Like the Fred again, yes. infamous, like, it always, you know, it, it, it is a real issue. Yeah, it was actually the Volk's idea to do the cage. Oh, there's a surprise. It was Elliot's originally, idea then. <laughs> originally, we, were, we, were in, we inquired about the whole 360 thing. It's like, could it be done in Brighton? And, uh, and they were like, yeah, but equipment and drink spilling on equipment. And it was like, Oh, we'll fence it off. Oh, we'll just, we'll just cage the whole DJ in, and it just kind of ran with the idea, and uh, and that's that's what we're on. And are they? Who's built? Are you building a cage, or are they building? A cage? Uh, together, we're going to build it in the morning. But yeah, is it is it going to like is it going to like start at the top like when everyone gets in and then like slowly lower down <laughs> like like I'm thinking like WWE do you know what I mean like brilliant that was brilliant like flashing like, <laughs> proper cage match. music coming down and like it goes down the DJ gets their intro song yeah <laughs> like smoke going up come on that would be that would be a spectacle that would be a spectacle Fox is a bit small for them kind of that tricks though <laughs> yeah yeah maybe you're on a you're on a budget you're on a budget as well. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's because uh, uh, I mean, the runtime's what, like three p.m. Uh, yeah, they're going three p.m. till ten p.m. Okay, and they're doing nighttime events. Afterwards. You're not doing the night as well. No, like no, that. I think I think it's, I think it's a donk night after. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Is it donk line? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> yes, pick up the donk line. Yes. Uh, so yeah, that should be really fun, and it's been uh, a fun idea to work on. Just trying to do something a bit different because. Anyone, anyone, especially like local to Brighton, you'll definitely know the Volks. You've definitely been there, and, and most DJs have played there. And it's it's such a cool place. But we were like, it's it's that thing, just... it's that thing as well. I mean, obviously they've got like the new sound system, and everything. But like you're saying, it does. It's the Volks, and it is the Volks for that reason. But yeah. again, it is like, how can you progress it? How can you innovate and try something different? Yeah. And that's that was it. After running the events for so long, there it was like let's do something different. What else can we do? Um, and then, yeah, we, we brainstorm between the team and we come up with this this concept. And yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see how it goes, to be honest. Tickets, I was, the tickets have gone mad. Like really? just off the concept alone. And all so we, you haven't even dropped a lineup there, don't you? No lineup's been announced. It's literally just been an image of the date, time, the cage, and a caption around something about surrounding the cage and CDJs or whatever. And that alone has wow. sold a bunch of tickets so people are excited to do something a bit different at the Volks um, and I think people obviously trust your brand they know what you've been doing for a long time so they know they're going to expect something special I'd like to think so yeah I feel like yeah we've done well we've next year will be 15 years since we set our multifunction um, and yeah so we'll be 15 we'll be doing some sort of big birthday event I'm sure um, but yeah we've been doing our thing for a long time with the events and we've kind of yeah I guess built, built, uh, built the reputation of, of what we do at multifunction yeah, so it's exciting to see how this one goes off. No, oh, man, I'm, I think that's a really cool concept. I'm yeah. going to be there, as, as, as hopefully as I'm not too jet-lagged on the way back. God, I mean, it's only 3 till 10. Like, it's, 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 it's the daytime as well. I mean, that's a good thing as well, I guess. Like, You'll be tucked up in bed by 11, unless you want to stick around for some dog. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> Don't tempt me with a good song. All right, well, look, I... I feel like we've covered quite a lot. We have a chat, don't we? It's good. I mean, we're chatting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know where else we could go. I don't know. Have you got anything you want to still sort of touch on? Or I mean, I guess, I mean, one thing I was kind of, obviously you're saying about the other project. I mean, what more can we expect for Leveler kind of? Um, so and you can talk about, I don't yes, know. Yes, I've just polished off my next release for Critical, which is a two-track release that's coming out early next year. Um, I've got a remix of 
Ram Trilogy's Screamer, which has been doing the rounds and again, messages almost daily asking when that's coming because it was supposed to come out this year. Um, but then Ram decided they want to push it onto vinyl. So it's oh, wow. delayed the release process a little bit. So that's going to be coming out this year for sure. Um, and yeah, a few other projects that I'm working on. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's the other thing. Can, about we that. can we touch on it? Do you want to touch on it or yeah, not? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm quite, I'd be, I think I'm quite Okay, so there's, there's a bang, bang bootleg I'd done of Nancy Sinatra and I was playing it in my DJ sets. Again, it was just a quick one day. I got the idea. I was like, let me think of Baby Shot Me Down into drum and bass. Let's see if it works. I made a little bootleg of it, played it in my sets and people asking me what it was. Gave it out to a bunch of DJs and it was getting hammered. Like, I remember I sent it out to like, 50 DJs within the scene thinking no it's just a bootleg I can't do anything with it so just give it to DJs to play out I remember like the following Monday flicking through the Instagram stories and I saw videos of like Break, Spy, Kings of the Rollers, Andy C like everyone was playing that that bootleg that weekend and I was like wow it's nuts how nuts it's gone and um yeah and I think Andy C is still now three or four years later playing it most sets um yeah and it's we've got it but because it was a, a remix and a bootleg, we couldn't do anything with it. Um, so it's going to sat, it has sat in limbo for Yeah, it's, for quite ju- a while. it's just been like a special to play in my sets until. Until somebody <laughs> had an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, it's interesting actually, because I, I mean, the Elite saying it's been out for like four years now. I, I made really. it about four years ago. I, I made it just we, before. Lockdown, I mean, would you actually, say so. it's like one of your most, if not your most kind of like, sort after dubs, dubs really yeah one it's, of it's that and more recently the screamer thing is getting yeah. a lot of messages about it but before that bang bang uh, every day without fail i'd get someone on, in some sort of inbox or dm <laughs> going can, is your bang bang out can i buy it? Is, it is it released can you send it to me if you're never gonna release it can i just have a copy yeah and it's it's cool to have like a track on the circuit that people really want to get hold of um so we're doing all we can and working what we can to actually get it out which we're in the process of <laughs> i was literally working on it about two hours ago <laughs> so before i come here because it's it's right now it's in the process of getting ready to bring out to the world yeah i mean i guess we probably shouldn't t- say too much maybe. No, I, I think maybe you know, get, you'll get <laughs> like maybe maybe kind of like give some sort of you have to allude to it yeah i mean it, yeah we're hoping it uh, we will come out at some point um yeah we just to see what happens see what happens at the moment we just need to get it finished and then work out copyright yeah there's a lot of licensing yeah there's a bigger a bigger sort of system to work out and and loopholes to jump through and stuff to get it legally released without getting sued so we're yeah (laughs) Yeah, the sinatra estate on your account yeah exactly so we're working on that um but it's looking promising good so yeah that hopefully will come out this year as well and then um yeah, at the moment, like I said earlier about getting back into the swing of things, I'm, I've written more sort of sketches and ideas and starts of tracks in the last two weeks than I had in the last six months. So right now, I am just banging the tunes out. I'm just so heavily in the studio with this new, like, fire in my tummy. And it's, it's, it's really nice to have that desire to I wake up in the morning happy and I'm like ready to go in the studio whereas yeah for a, for a while I wasn't I, I was treating it as like a slog and oh I've got to sit in the studio for eight hours again today EQing snares but no, I don't know why I was in that again I was going back on it I was just being run down put me in that mindset because now I've had the chance to actually sit back and analyze the situation I'm like I'm an idiot for thinking that I've got the 
bestest job in the world. I get to do what I absolutely love. It's all I'm good at. It's all I know how to do. And I want to be doing this for as long as possible. And I realized that I'm not going to, if I carried on in that bad mindset around it and, and see it and focusing on the negative aspects of the job rather than just celebrating all the positives. And that's what really turned my mindset around and given me this new ready to Lisa like ready to kick ass Le level 3.0 yeah exactly yeah i feel like it is because yeah i, I treat the, the jump up stage is old level R, and then there was the darker side and then yeah now it's whatever See comes what next. happens right yeah. okay no really interesting time then really. it is I'm, I'm really excited for this year and the future yeah just just to and of, of drum and bass in general as well to be fair the, the, the i love this music as i've said many times but it's really exciting at the moment there's some really exciting music being made and yeah, I know it's just gone. It's just gone massive, it really, has. in it a has. way that I don't think it, it ever has before. Has. No. no, it comes. There's waves, as yeah. all genres yeah. and, and especially some genres, they come in waves. They have phases. They're popular, then they'll go underground. But right now, we're at a super high peak of, like, even I was at uh, a fright night at Tully's farm uh, right. uh, yeah. Halloween, and <laughs> there's another cruelly reference. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was in the bar, and. Uh, uh, a drum and bass tune come on it's that goddard messy in heaven yeah right uh, come yeah. on and like, i'd only heard it a few times but i was in a bar in crawley town and about 150 people were screaming all the lyrics singing along and raving in this bar and i was like wow when is that and, and everywhere i went uh, even just that it was a very commercialized event but there was drum and bass everywhere and that was just kind of strung home just how much people are listening to drum and bass at the moment and then when they discover the more commercial artists and the, and the really popular songs at the moment uh, once people hear that and they, they might be drum and bass for the first time, they'll go, okay, well, what's this? I like this. Let me delve a bit deeper into it. And then that's when they discover them, the other artists and the other labels. And then they're like, oh, there's actually nights that play this stuff. And I feel like any time the, the scene blows is only a good thing because it just means more people are going to eventually come into the scene. Um, so right now there's millions of people listening to it on TikTok. But even if... I think that has been one of the biggest... Oh, uh, massive driving force. It, yeah, yeah, massive driving force is TikTok. And You're on TikTok? Yeah. Can we find Leveler on TikTok? I am on TikTok <laughs> and I don't use it as much as I should. <laughs> I'm not great at creating all the content, but it is. That's one of my <laughs> that's jobs. Another, that's another goal. Yeah, that's one of my goals for this year. Well, look, we're going to yeah. be able to get plenty of good TikTok content out of this. Yeah, right I'm, I'm snipping this clip right now. It's going to my TikTok. <laughs> the video on my TikTok will be this. <laughs> it's going to go super viral. <laughs> um yeah I, I don't know where i was going with that but the social yeah no is, yeah is no fun. so you're saying it's a good good time and obviously you're yes. you say you're you're sort of still as busy as ever still you know yeah like i've had and... yeah i mean this month i had off um i just didn't have any bookings booked in for january which was nice considering i took the time off in december as well so i was i mean at the end of december i still had like three shows in the time that i was wasn't working in the studio i was still touring um but then between i think it's the 27th of jan to the 27th of feb it's four weeks i've got eight shows in five countries next month so although i'm really appreciating <laughs> the yeah it's like i've got january off and i'm enjoying not being dead out during the week not having to leave home for a weekend but from next month touring gets pretty crazy again <laughs> and then uh summer this summer's lined up is looking wicked some cool where festivals. can we see you this summer um i'm doing liquidity festival which okay. i did in 2018 i think 2019 and it was one of the best festivals i've ever played belgium jump up set 
Oh, no, it was, it was, it was just doing what it's just a, a normal reset, um, which is still good. You still come and check the resets out. Um, but yeah, liquidity was really cool. I mean, we were closing it down the year I played it. Andy C was on the main stage last set, and I was on the second stage last set. I'm thinking, I looked at the schedule, and I was like, Oh, oh no, my tent's going to go up against Andy. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't go up against Andy. No one's going to want to see me over Andy. Stepped on stage, there was 3,000 people, tent was packed for me and it was really really it was one of them gigs that will always stay with me so they've invited me back this year which i'm super excited about i'm doing rampage festival this year uh back at later row again um yeah it's it's a really it's gonna be a cool summer Wicked. really cool summer no well mate look you know it's uh it's awesome to see i tell you what well you know i won't keep you too much longer because i know that you probably have to get back i mean one thing i did want to like a couple of things i wanted to sort of say or one thing i thought could be an interesting thing because obviously as someone that has I could say made it. I know we use that term a bit loosely. <laughs> when you're in on the inside, it can seem a bit odd. But obviously, look, you do this as a, as a full time profession. What advice to anybody listening out there that kind of would like to to do it as a as a full time? If someone is out there, yeah. What kind of words of wisdom? Um, obviously, I know that's quite no, that's easy. Well, man, that, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah um, a good thing is is knowing your worth. I think, to an extent, in in a, in two different ways. Not just in the sense like, if you're big, know your worth. I'm talking about if you're not quite where you should be yet, know your worth in your place. Because I what I see a lot of times online, and if I see comments, and it's normally by like bedroom DJs that are trying to get out there, and they're like, oh, I, I won't go and do this gig for free. Exposure doesn't pay the bills, and it's like. If you want this to be your job, you got to put yourself out there. You need to be working, taking every opportunity you possibly can to build up to a position that you people don't see you as an exposure artist. If they if they valued you as a bigger artist that's worth a value, they will pay you for it. And but what I see is a lot of DJs that I'm not, I don't really know any of these guys, but it's comments I see online or whatever that kids have got a controller. They've had a few videos on TikTok and they think that they're going to get five hundred pound a set when they go and DJ everywhere. And it's like that's not the reality of it. The reality is, is just knowing your position because if you jump the gun and start demanding money for your sets before you're actually worth that money, the promoters aren't going to book you. All ready to handle a crowd. Yeah, like, exactly. Handle. Like, yeah, you've kind of got to learn to cut your teeth in this industry. If, if yeah, if you just want the experience of playing out, reach out to your favorite promoters and say, look, I'm happy to come along. Um, I've been to a few of your nights or whatever. I like what you do. Give us a slot to can I play opening set or something. Don't start asking for money because you're shooting yourself in the foot. If you're at a position that you're worth that money, like I said, the promoter will come to you and be like, I want to pay you to do this. And that's one big thing I see is a lot of artists feel like they should be earning money when they, it takes a long time to get any money out of this industry. It takes a long time of working and honing your craft before you're in a position to earn from it. But if you work hard enough, you can earn from it. So that's the best advice I've got for anyone wanting to get into this industry as a career is just hard work it's the only thing that's going to get there a lot of people say that oh it's who you know and it's not necessarily you can be in lucky positions that you can have an opportunity present itself to you if you're lucky it can it can help but if you work and put yourself out there exactly if you put your yeah the harder you work and the harder you put yourself out there the more you're giving yourself chance for a bigger opportunity so yeah if you're sitting at home just mixing in your bedroom the opportunities ain't aren't going to come to you if you're out in the club handing out your your, your demos or whatever or trying to get people's emails to network and then yeah the more you hustle and work the more you'll get out of this so that, that's the best 
bit of advice I can give is that hard work does pay <laughs> off. <laughs> but also take a break every now and again. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't work too hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Balance. There's always a balance. Absolutely. Okay, well, look, man, this has been a really, really cool chat. And I'm really, really pleased to have you on for the like, no, first guest. Thank you for this. having me, man. Like I said, we've been talking about this and it was, yeah, it was an idea that we put together and it was good, good to be here. So, yeah, thanks for having me. All good. Where can people find you? online if they're not following i mean you should already if anyone's watching this they should already be following leveler where where can people find you? yeah i'm on instagram tiktok the usuals at, at leveler pretty much all just of to search at leveler i'm pretty sure my page comes search up. leveler up on each app i'm probably sure my okay. page will come up but yeah give us a follow give us a follow <laughs> um and look anyone that you'd like to big up thank or give any can you give any time to why you got the open mic Seeing as as we've kind of gone through my story, I've got to pick up my mum. Like without her support and constant, just believing in me. And if you want to do something in music, you absolutely can do it. And giving me every resource to do it. Like she bought my first decks eventually when my brothers broke. And um, yeah, she bought me my software, drove me up and down the country. So yeah, I've got to pick up my mum. I wouldn't be doing any of this without her. I mean, like, I've seen your mum at a number of multifunction events yeah, on the she, door. Like yeah, she used to, yeah, she used to run the door for us at the events <laughs> before she got too old. To, she felt too old to do. That. Yeah, she yeah. did used to really help out. And yeah, my wife for giving me the opportunity to do what I do. And yeah, my kids and cheesy stuff like that. I like big God. Big, yeah, thank God. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, big up Pete for having me in here. And yeah, big up to people like you that run the labels and you put this content together and you create things for other people i said you do your events and you tour it and they're the people the ground roots for people that are helping keep this scene alive is the ones i want to big up so yeah people like yourself and big up me basically don't let go to my head go on keep me grounded keep me grounded yeah that's who i want to big up the people that are keeping the small events going and booking like the little people, the promoters that put on 200 cap venues just because they want to grow a scene, they're the ones that are keeping this scene alive and they're the ones that deserve all the big up because it's all good. There's like these huge events with tens of thousands of people and all the headliners, but the underground grassroots venues is really where the underground... Base. Yeah. Like base. Exactly. That's so you get to see it all, I guess, as well. Yeah, I get unfortunately, I do get to travel and see these different venues and, and they're the ones that are keeping drum and bass alive, in my opinion. So yeah, big up all promoters that are putting on the events. And labels are part of the music. And yeah, the rave is the Bayern. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, big up everyone that's involved in the drum and bass scene. I think that's a great note to end it on. I was. Thank you, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, if you haven't already, do go check out what this man does. I don't know which camera I'm looking at right now. We're looking at one of the cameras. I got all three, all three here. Yeah, go find him. Go listen to his music. Go buy his music. Go support this man. If he's playing at a show coming up, go and see him. I haven't got much more to say. Thank you very much, Leveler. Big up. Big up. I can see that. That was fun. No, no, mate. That was was really, really good. I don't even know how long we went on for. I reckon that was at least a good... What's that, wasn't it? Well, no, maybe an hour and a half.